Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. When my daughter was nine, I bought her a dollhouse kit for Christmas. I could have spent 10 bucks more and had somebody at the place where I bought it put it together, but $10 seemed like a lot. So after Christmas, my youngest son Jake and I entered the dollhouse construction business. And it was kind of a sophisticated dollhouse. It, it was all wood. It had siding. It had railings. It had shutters to hang by the windows. It had shake shingles for the roof. It even had a brick chimney on the outside. And you had to mix the mortar and press the mortar through a form and pick out the little bricks and stack them up. And so every day, well, almost every day, Jake and I would go down into that little area we called a rec room. It was called that for a number of reasons. And we would go at it. And Jake had a ball and I had a ball. And he would put up the siding and he'd paint the railing and he'd put on the shingles. And then he'd go to bed. And later I'd slip back down, straighten the siding sand the paint that he had spilled, pry the shingles off that he had glued on the roof and straighten them. And every morning, Jake would wake up and say, Dad, we going to work on the dollhouse today? That is exactly how you and I are meant to live. He was fully engaged in the process. He brought everything a seven-year-old could bring to it. And then he let it go. He did his best and knew I would do the rest. He understood his role because he understood my role. And never once did he wake up in the middle of the night worried about the dollhouse. He knew I had it. And every morning he woke with this joyous expectancy for what was lying ahead. God invites us to build his dollhouse with him. And he asks that we be fully engaged, that we do our best, and then trust and let it go. Here's our little premise for today. You and I are created to live carefree lives. Now, is there a difference between carefree and careless? <laughs> Absolutely. We are not careless. 
The psalmist says God opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. So does that mean if we suddenly stopped working or became negligent, God would still rain down his daily bread upon us? That would be careless. We were created to be engaged in the world around us. It has been thus from the beginning. Adam and Eve were told to subdue the earth. That, is, that was their job. We cannot be those to whom God has given dominion, those created in his image, and be careless. In fact, just the opposite. We are careful. We do our best. We're engaged, and we do it with joy. But every now and then, I think we kind of cross a bit of a line and we confuse the roles and we think we're in charge and God is there to help us. And you know, whenever we think we're in charge, that's when we become anxious and we worry and life loses its joy and buoyancy. So how do we, in the midst of all the stuff that goes on, in the midst of everything coming at us, how do we live carefree lives? How do we live with this joyous expectancy? How do we get out on the, the, great, the edge of this great adventure without fretting and stewing? Most Christians I know, forgive me, most Christians I know worry. And worry to me is the antithesis of faith. And there's a direct correlation between the two. The more faith, the less worry. The less faith, the more worry. And there are things that come our way to which we must there attend and for which we give concern physical, without question. But there's a difference between the closet, to something figuring out and how we're going to lose those last few pounds, is a, cutting the cable, watching the projections of the polar ice cap and the melting, thing is looking for terror cells in the neighborhood, here, running to schnooks for a deal on canned goods and deerbergs for a deal on produce, trying to figure out our health care, a lot of opportunities for us to be worried Putting gas in the tank, watching that pesky skin that seems to change, checking, checking the out the bestsellers, cuddling with the pesky neighbor, trying to figure out how we're going to pay keeping up with the kids tuition, and the thinking about the roof that needs repair, <sighs> rotating the tires, preparing for the conference call, going on a liver cleanse, looking for Some deals on another... Some people get so caught up in living, in the stuff coming at them, the cares of this world, that they have no time for the kingdom. And then they're awake in the middle of the night, fretting and stewing and planning and calculating. All the while, the lily and the raven are sound asleep. We were not created to live like that. We were created to live with this delightful, carefree abandonment that puts us right out there on the edge with a joie de vie, which is French for let it rip, an, a, a, an exuberance that cannot be contained. Twixt you and me, twixt us, just us sitting here, twixt us, most Christians I know have downsized their living 
to how high they can count or to what they can control. Here's a secret. Churches do the same thing. You know, I've been in hundreds of congregations over the last seven years, particularly. We're kind of all alike. I remember the first year that I was pastor of the church in Chicago that became a large church. When I went, it was a small church, but it thought small. And the first year I was there, the council presented to the voters a budget 50% larger than the year before. 50% larger. You think that provoked some discussion at the voters' meeting? How are we going to pay for that? We've never raised that kind of money. We've got to be responsible. We've got to be stewards of the resources God has given us, which is that pious little line well-intended church people use when they're really just scared. So I piped up and said, well, I guess we're just going to have to trust God this year. I was a kid. Knowing what I know now, I would have said, well, I guess we're just going to have to trust God this year. The fact I was young doesn't mean I was wrong. And the fact I'm old now doesn't mean I'm right, and you can figure that out. Ten years later, that church had a worship attendance of over 800, had gone through two major building programs without a capital campaign, and had a budget of $2.4 million, exponentially larger than what it had been. That's not the issue. The issue is not that it grew. Here's the issue. The issue is, I often wondered what would have happened if that first year we would have made our plans based on how high we could count. But here's the point. The same is true in our lives. What miracles do we miss out on? Because we're not willing to trust. What blessings God has in mind for us that we do not experience because we will not step out. Today's first lesson, which is our text, is this delightful story of Elijah and the widow. And as our field worker properly prefaced it, this was a time of scarcity. And so Elijah walks into this village and he sees this woman gathering sticks. And he says to her, go get me a drink of water. And she goes to get him a drink. And, and then he yells at her, by the way, bring me some bread too. <laughs> How's that for greeting a stranger? <laughs> and the woman says, oh, can't do that. Here's why I'm gathering these sticks. I'm gathering these sticks because I'm going to make a fire. I'm going to take the last of our flour. I'm going to make some bread. And then my son and I are going to eat it and die. Lots of information being shared there. And Elijah says, fine, bake the bread, but give me some of it. And God will take care of you. And the woman did, and God did for the rest of her life. But here's the point. What would have happened if she would have said, oh, don't have enough? See, the issue is whether we are willing to acknowledge we are the seven-year-old and God is God. Folks, he's the one in control. He's the one who gives the daily bread. And if ever, ever, ever we get to the point where we actually live like that and rely on that, 
It frees us up to live with a joy and energy and vitality and capacity that brings a far greater return than ever could have been imagined. And we wake up every day looking forward to what's coming and saying, God, are we going to build your house today? And the answer is always, yes. It's a passage I refer to a lot. It's, it's Romans 8.31. It's the passage I used as the text for the very first funeral sermon I ever preached. 20-year-old kid. Got his leg caught in a corn picker. And bled to death 100 yards from his home while his family was inside eating dinner. Romans 8.31. If... God is for us. Who can be against us? So let me ask you, is God for you? And the passage continues, He who spared not his own son but offered him up for us all, will he not also give us all good things? You know what that means? If he's made this investment in us, if he thinks we are of this much worth and this much value, how can we not know he's going to take care of us? Does God care about your life? What does the cross say? See, it always amazes me that people are willing to trust God with their eternal salvation but not their daily living. <laughs> We are people of the cross. We proclaim the gospel. Jesus lived and loved and died and rose again that we might have these new lives, not just that we might be forgiven. To say we're forgiven in some ways cheapens the gospel and reduces it to a remedial cleansing. There is nothing remedial about the gospel. It is redemptive. And we are restored to being what he intended for us in the very first place. couple of minutes we're going to come forward and you're going to put out your hand and that little wafer is going to be placed in it that's the gospel breaking through or you're going to take the cup and you're going to tilt it up would you just know just today would you just for that one moment Know that while you're holding that in your hand, he's holding you in his and won't let go. Ever. You know, in my little mind, there's a difference between belief and faith. Lots of people believe Fewer have faith. Belief says, I believe God can. Faith says, I'll live as if he already has. Which allows us to glue shingles and to slap paint with great joy. And so be it. Amen.